I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie. And before you continue on with listening to this, I just want to make sure that you've also listened to yesterday's episode of the Out of Spec podcast, which is the first parter to this episode, two-parter, with Kurt van de Putte from BMW Group. And the first part is about all of the BMW battery strategy. And then this part is about battery recycling. So it's uh, a podcast that I wanted to split into two. So make sure you just listen to that first one. Otherwise, enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and today I am joined very luckily by Kurt van de Putte, who is the battery, the manager of battery cell technology at the BMW Competence Center, right? I got all those words, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Um, we're here for the BMW Technology Office's 25th anniversary. And of course, I'm interested in speaking with you about everything battery, all, all that we can fit into. And hopefully I'll split these up into two podcast segments. But yeah, thank you for joining me today. It's really exciting. You're actually kind of new to BMW, yes? Yes, yes. It's also for me uh, an honor to be here. I joined uh, BMW Group on November 1st, so I'm really I'm in the, my discovery phase. I received the cookie jar, and from now on, I can pick what I like. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, battery recycling. I mean, that's really one of my passions. Um, I've always been a very strong advocate that uh, sustainable electric mobility would only come if we are able to achieve the material loop. Because in the end, we are in an enormous transition from the single use of fossil natural resources to the multiple use of mineral natural resources. And multiple use is crucial. It's only when we are able to reuse these mineral resources a couple of times that we will bring a sustainable improvement to what we are doing for society. Uh, and that's a must. 
But it is far from easy to do that. I mean, closing the loop is, closing the material loop is very challenging because you need a lot of actors aligned in getting that loop closed. Let me give you an example of portable electronics. So my previous company where I work for is recycling portable electronic batteries for more than, for close to 15 years now. This is very challenging, not from a technology perspective. When the batteries are arriving at the plant, recycling can happen at high uh, efficiencies. But it's very hard to get these batteries back. I mean, you need discipline from everybody in society to selectively collect that, to, to bring this to collection scheme, and then get that back in, into the industry. For automotive industry, of course, the game is changing because you don't have small batteries that are left in a drawer, end-of-life car, you're not going to keep in your garage. Huh? So how will this industry organize itself? I think at this moment in time, it's very hard to predict how the world of circularity will look in 10 years from now. Why is it so difficult? Regulators play, will play an enormous role. I mean, I see regulation different, I see a different approach, for instance, in the Americas compared to uh, uh, Europe or, or China or other countries in Asia. What we will need to find out as an industry, together with customers, uh, other societal stakeholders, is how are we going to do that? Who are, the, who are going to be the owners of that cycle? Who will take responsibility? And the last couple of years, I've seen like examples in going in, in complete extreme directions. You've seen automotive companies who have really the intention to, um, to manage an end of life battery as an asset, maybe look to still use it in a second life. And then when that's no longer economically viable, bring it into recycling. You have the other side of the spectrum and really companies that rather say, okay, let the open market do its thing and there is value in a battery so people will be innovative and then when that doesn't work, it will end up in recycling. What it will finally be, open question. Um, and like I said, regulation will also somehow play a crucial role. Um, look for instance at Europe where you see uh, battery regulation has been voted um, a couple of months ago and battery regulation is focusing on uh, or it's or actually implementing targets for uh, recycling, collection rate, but it's also uh, setting targets for secondary raw materials that have to be used in new battery production. So there, there's going to be a real demand created for these secondary materials. So we will have to be smartly integrate recycled atoms, secondary atoms in our supply chains. And this is really of enormous importance from a cost perspective, but also from an environmental impact perspective. Very much so. I think when battery recycling comes up, it's often, um, of course, a big challenge, but kind of an answer to the naysayers that, um, you know, have a point here and there. But over the lifespan of an EV, less greenhouse gases are emitted than your typical ICE vehicle. But during the battery production, it spikes. And then at, at the end of life, it spikes. And so what happens to these you know, materials that we use to the potential of this battery that can no longer maybe power an EV, but still has something to give? So figuring out what to do afterwards and close that loop is, of course, a big challenge. So why is it that BMW would not just 
find a partner to provide those batteries to, but instead get involved into the recycling process itself. A BMW wants to be involved for many reasons. First of all, I think the understanding of the supply chain, and in that case, a circular supply chain is crucial. Uh, a battery is for an automotive company, a crucial part of future cars, uh, crucial in many aspects, performance, cost, environmental impact. So we need to understand what is behind and how we can drive uh, improvements going forward. Going back, coming back to recycling, roughly speaking, a recycled atom entering new battery production has about 30, 40% less embedded CO2 than virgin uh, atoms coming from mining or other extraction metals, methods. So from an environmental impact perspective, it is so important to integrate these recycled materials. Um, and we envisage really we require our cell makers to integrate 50% secondary raw materials, 50%. This is ambitious, but we believe it is feasible. And we really would, try to, would like to drive and take a leadership position there, drive the industry on establishing an efficient material closed loop. Um, it's important from an environmental uh, perspective, but it's also important about really traceability of materials. And then last but not least, what I would really like to stress, and I know that from own experience, recycled atoms are actually of very high quality. Also often, I had to explain that recycled nickel or lithium or cobalt, this is very pure. I mean, as an active material producer, you are happy with recycled atoms. Um, there is... There is no quality downgrading by using secondary material. And that's maybe in contrast to the perception, um, but that's the beauty of metals. Huh? You can really recycle them without loss of quality. If you do that job chemically right, uh, which the current industry is already capable of doing, then you have basically a very efficient closed loop. You are answering all my questions before I can ask them, because I think that is a really interesting part of it, that when you recycle these materials, actually you can get a higher quality than it was to start with. So not only do you have a lesser impact on the environment, less CO2 emitted by mining these, and also the moral implications of who is mining them and everything, but being able to have the cell that recycling using second life materials is actually even higher quality really is a push for this um, business model to be successful and for regulation that is pushing it to really make sense. Because sometimes I think, you know, regulation might be seen as pushing something that might technically be good, but it's a little hard to achieve. But this seems like it's a really good setup. Well, in terms of regulation, I've almost been like at both sides of the tables now. Uh, in my At my previous company, I was two years responsible for government affairs. And I mean, if there is one thing that I learned in those two years is that um, I, I really learned to appreciate also the role of the regulator. And it's not like uh, establishing nitty gritty, nasty new rules. It's really uh, trying to make things effective, make, uh, make sure that uh, uh, the environmental impact is under control, is transparent. I think it's also a matter of transparency. Uh, we have a duty, we have a responsibility as a car maker to inform our customers. Our customers 
we have been the last decades we have been informing them about technical performance about our cars but i think we need to also inform them about what are the environmental impact factors and 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 a fantastic example that i would like to mention there is the work that is being done at the global battery alliance uh, bmw is member uh, of that organization it's a multi-stakeholder organization it's pre-competitive but it's a unique opportunity for this emerging industry to set the rules on a global level straight from day one. And I've been working there uh, for, for a couple of years. I've been helping and pushing that idea. Um, I'm, a, I'm a strong supporter. And again, yeah, it brings maybe some additional things to report, but the goal is to bring transparency in the supply chain, transparency towards the customers. Um, Earlier this year at the uh, World Economic Forum in Davos, um, Global Battery Alliance, they really launched a feasibility study where with the QR code on the car, you could scan and you had an idea about the supply chain of the batteries. Where were materials mined? Where were batteries produced? What is the CO2 embedded content per kilowatt hour, for instance? Isn't that fantastic? As an in individual customer, really you can make a well-founded product choice. And I think this is important for the technology, fun to drive, but I think it's also important from a sustainability point of view. I'm very excited about this part of the industry for all the reasons that you've mentioned. The sustainability aspect, the fact that it is really feasible, and um, it seems like there are a lot of advantages. Not only do the materials, like we talked about, they are actually primed for this kind of use after you recycle them, but also that the processes to actually use these second life materials in new batteries is coming along. You, you were mentioning that they were successful. So a lot of advantages that we can see, we're fans of it. What are the big challenges facing this part of the industry that maybe people don't really think about? Um, the key challenges in that part of creating a circular uh, materials model is what I typically call, uh, it's the circularity paradox. What does it actually mean? Whatever people do to make the first use of a product better is in 99% of the cases not good for circularity. Let me explain better. Think of a portable electronic device, just a smartphone. Compare that with what it was 20 years ago and what it is now. So much more capabilities, but it is so much more complex. And if you have to recycle that, you need really fantastic technology to get that thing done. And the same is happening in automotive. So we make battery cells more complex. We use different chemicals inside and we do a little bit more of that, a little bit more of that. We add another atom, but it makes your recycling process more complex. The same on pack designs. I mean, we want to have perfect term, um, thermal management. We want to have the cooling. We want to have sensors. But in the end, recycling that, Make, makes it more complex. So the biggest challenge from my point of view is finding the right balance between first use performance and ease, let's say also cost efficient integration of an end of life pack and recycling processes. This is really important. Um, there are safety aspects. There are of course the complexity of dismantling things. Can you imagine end of life, a pack of 600 kilograms? How do you enter that in a chemical plant? This is not straightforward with 
I don't know, 25 different metals inside. Good luck to recycle that and to separate all these. So there is a safety aspect, but there is also, I think, an, an, uh, an important operator aspect. There are dangerous chemicals inside. We have to do these recycling processes in a sustainable way. I mean, we have to protect also people who are operational in that supply chain or in these operations. And for me, this is a, this is really a future challenge that we have to tackle as the industry is scaling. Because the battery recycling industry, disassembly, collection, disassembly, and then recycling, we, that still needs to scale. But we, we really have to understand that well. Um, and also as a BMW, we, we, we look at these processes. I mean, how can we contribute to make it easier? We are specialists in building packs. Well, maybe we should become specialists in dissembling packs because it's almost like manual minus times minus one eh? mm -hmm. to make the reverse of the operations. So I think we have a role to play um, and the scaling up in the next 10 years will uh, will will help and, and, and show us the way on how we can do that better. Because in the end, recycling has to be cost competitive. There is not going to be a society or there is not going to be a company just subsidizing for the good of the world. This has to also be economically viable. It seems like there's a benefit com coming from BMW's perspective where you really can be at the the start and the end of it and help create that loop, whereas other organizations in the spa space might just be in the recycling side of things or in the battery manufacturing side of things. So that could possibly be an advantage as it um, grows within BMW's landscape of uh, the different services that you provide. Where would this recycling take place exactly? Um, I expect really the material loops to be organized regionally. Um, because if you do that regionally, you're, you are going to create the right balance between, on the one hand, scale, and on the other hand, environmental impact. Um, I, I really don't see us moving going forward uh, and moving packs all around the world. This is not going to happen for a number of reasons. First reason is from an environmental CO2 density impact, you will not do that. That's the wrong thing to do. Keep the materials where they are and treat them there. But a very important second element is Mother Nature has decided on their, on her own where the atoms are on this world. And not every type of atom is in every region available. I mean, we've learned this the hard way in Europe. We've learned this the hard way in North America. But in the end, it's for every region the same. So when these packs, when the critical materials are in a certain region, you already feel this now with upcoming regulation in every region people want to keep critical raw materials in their region. So automatically, these material loops will organize themselves on a regional basis. I see an industry in Northern America, an industry in Europe. Okay. You will have the same in China and you will have that. Uh, for instance, India will also be a closed uh, market for that. That's how I see it being organized in the next decade. Hmm. Really interesting. I appreciate, you know, your excitement for this and of course your expertise. You are a wealth of knowledge and it was so great to sit with you at dinner and speak now more in depth. And you are, you know, a little fresh to the BMW team. What are you most looking forward to in your coming years with the company? Um, I'm absolutely looking forward to have um, impact on the technology side. First of all, I want to learn more about the the dedicated designs for automotive i mean i come from the material side and now i get the application to see and i'm 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 
enormously impressed with how people immediately make the link between the final product. Um, I, I was I was so excited uh, last week when we were discussing maybe small tuning of chemistry in cells. And within like 20 minutes, people were starting to talk about design change of the car, if you would do that, or change the braking system. I thought like, wow, this is really cool. So um, this is where I would really like to have impact. That's one thing. Um, secondly, I think environmental performance really goes to, to, to my values. Um, I carry that. Uh, I mean, this is something where collectively industry stakeholders and along the supply chain, we really have to focus on. And, um, this is going to be one of my priorities. Of course, always linked to optimal cell design. Uh, but I will really, really spend a lot of energy on making that happen. Um, because it really belongs to top performance. I mean, top performance for a car is not only throttle or the, or the power, but it's also top performance in terms of uh, sustainability. How interesting your job is. It has been so great to be able to speak with you, Kurt. I've enjoyed, yeah, really diving into these topics and look forward to seeing you again. Hopefully, who knows where it will be and also seeing your work and how BMW advances in this space. I think there's a lot of great work to be done. You are definitely are innovating and it was great to see inside the technology office. So thank you so much for your time today and for sharing with me and our audience about these topics that I personally find very interesting. Thank you, Francie. Uh, the honor was mine. And if you ever in Munich area, please uh, let us know and we will show you what we do. I would absolutely love that. And thank you everyone for tuning into the Out of Spec podcast. If you have any questions, please ask them and I'll see if I can get some answers, but hope you enjoyed and overall have a great day. We'll see you next time on the Out of Spec podcast.